trauma compiles upon itself. And when it is not dealt with, when it is not healed, when it is not acknowledged, your body begins to scream at you. Mm. It will do whatever it can to get your attention mm-hmm. because, and now we're, we're getting all this research coming out that actually, you know, really backs up the whole concept of everything lives inside your body. You're a high achiever on paper and through the eyes of others. You've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over, but let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. Jules Zur is back for part two of an earlier conversation. And this time we're going deep into debunking the bullshit about time healing all wounds and how the wounds we live can morph into physical illness. A practitioner in replacement imagery Jewel shares how the safe, guided practice of reimagining our story can change how we relate to our story and how we relate to ourselves. This is a gentle, warm, safe, and loving conversation. And it's all right here, right now, in the Trauma Hiders Club. I'm so glad to be here with you again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I loved our conversation. And I, we agreed that there's more, there's more to share. Yeah. So something that we say as a, I don't know, I don't know if it's more than just Americans, I'm not sure, but we've heard it said that time heals all wounds. Mm -hmm. So tell me how it is. For one, I don't believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it. I did a whole show about it. Yeah, okay. Tell me how the true physical manifestation of unhealed wounds shows up and how it showed up for you. So first, I totally agree with you. Time does not heal all wounds. If that were the case, we could just throw ourselves in a fridge or something, right? <laughs> Come up five years later and we'd be okay. Yeah. My experience for myself is that trauma compiles upon itself. And when it is not dealt with, when it is not healed, when it is not acknowledged, your body begins to scream at you. Mm. 
it will do whatever it can to get your attention mm-hmm. because, and now we're, we're getting all this research coming out that actually, you know, really backs up the whole concept of everything lives inside your body. We now know that a mother's trauma is actually passed down to her child, her infant. How sad is that? Right. And, and, and her mother's trauma is passed down to her and then to you, uh, us. Exactly. The infant, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And in my own case, as I had shared with you previously, my body began to try to get my attention. First, it was with bizarre rashes. I was um, in the relationship for about six months when actually the skin around my wedding ring began to peel and peel and peel and peel and peel. It was, of all places. It, and it was just where the wedding ring was. It's the only place. And now I have a wedding ring, a different one with a different relationship. Yeah. There has never been a rush. Wow. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is 25 years ago, even longer. Yeah. So I had this rash and I was like, nah, it doesn't mean anything, but it was only around that finger, but it was like, it was bad. Shortly after, like a few years later, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder Mm. called Graves disease. And what it was is my thyroid was way, way, way up high for years. And I was dizzy and I was like, everything was off. And again, um, first of all, it took the doctor really a a very long time to figure out what the issue was, because back then a lot of people didn't know about it and they didn't know to check. So he thanked me a few years later and said, so by the way, after treating you, I now check all my all my um, patients, I almost said clients, all my patients for this. And I'm like, oh, well, you're welcome. So I had all that and and I dealt with that for a solid I don't know, 12, 13, 15 years. And then the big betrayal that we, that we spoke of. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Other than the rash, what do we see when we see Graves disease? Oh. Well, that's a very good question. A lot of people have a lot more symptoms than I did, which is really fortunate for me. I did have one eye that swelled open. So when I was sleeping or when I was blinking, my eyelid wasn't covering it completely. Mm. What they did is they they cut the eyelid above so that it would be a little bit longer and actually cover the eye. Um, that swelling has gone down, which is, again, I'm very fortunate for a lot of people. It doesn't. And yeah, that was pretty much it. It was mostly the high thyroid, which meant heart racing. Every time I went to bed at night, I thought I was going to die because I just didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm. Yeah. And I had two young children. So that was that was a tough time. Thyroid is just in charge of so much. Yes. Okay. So fast forward to you've got the diagnosis. I imagine you were on medication. You had the eyelid surgery. Yeah. Okay. Where are we now? Yeah. So now we are in that moment of basically running, 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 and performing and all the things that we do when we're in a relationship with a narcissist, right? Keeping the peace overcompensating with our children, everything, all that. So go, 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 go. And then the brick wall and bouncing off 
And the trauma then at that point, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Again, back then, they weren't really aware of complex PTSD, and they started really recognizing it, some people. But anyway, so I went into shock. I was unable to eat. Um, My jaw locked for about three months. So I would literally have to squeeze food and open my lips and shove food into my cheek so I could actually eat. Wait, hold it. Your jaw locked? Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything shut down for me. Is that I've not heard of that as a, I want to call it a trauma response. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. You should hear the stories that I hear. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, that's what it translated into. I just, I turned into a clench, a human clench. Completely clenched. Yes. I was in so much shock and I was so stunned at what my reality was compared mm. to what I imagined it had been before or I told myself it had been before. So <laughs> I remember my parents asking me, um, my birthday is at the end of September. I remember my parents asking me to go for coffee because they just wanted me to get out of the house. It's like, okay. So I met them for coffee and I couldn't even speak because I just sat there with tears streaming down my face. Mm. I was never a crier, not a crier. I don't cry. I am tough as nails before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I sat there and I was just mortified. I was like, I, I, can I just go home now? So we, we did our best at conversation. It was very sporadic at best. And uh, yeah, so that's the state that I was in. In November, I early November, I saw my doctor, my GP up in Canada, and I was told that I was in, you know, at least physical. Everything was fine. The Graves disease was, was under control. We checked the TSH levels, all that stuff. Everything was fine physically. And I said, okay. And then about four weeks later, I noticed that there was, okay, so it wasn't early November. It was like mid-November. About four weeks later, I I was in the bathtub and I noticed that I had something in my stomach and I could move it, (laughs) but it hurt to move it. And I was like, um, and I was really tired for those four weeks, Mm. really, really tired. And then digestion and everything went all haywire. And I was like, something's not right. So I went to see my doctor and he took a look and he went, oh, and in Canada, things are very separated because it's healthcare is public, right? So he said, stay here. I'll be right back. Well, he was gone for 45 minutes. And apparently he had been on the phone calling every lab technician in the city, trying to get me in immediately. So I went in and then that night and okay. So also in Canada, you don't receive personal phone calls from your GP, but he, he called me and talked to me for an hour and told me the size And just the fact that I had this giant cyst, the size of a melon Mm. in my stomach. And not only that, but it had also gone up and actually ate my ovary. So within four weeks, this is what happened in my body. Why? Because I was dealing with all that trauma. And although I was trying the talk therapy and I was asking for more, there was no more. They said, this is it, Jewel. 
I kept asking for more. There was nothing else. And so I just, I just focused on breathing and then taking another breath and then taking another breath. And then before I knew it, all of a sudden there I am in emergency surgery to get this thing out of me. Now the surgery went quite well, actually, you know, and they checked all the organs all over, you know, my interior. (laughs) Um, I'm not a doctor. Um, And everything came back clean and it was all fine. But I had had this major surgery and in post-op, that's where the reason for what I do now originated. I remember in post-op laying there, I was in so much pain when I woke up. And the nurses were trying really hard to get me to like, wake up, wake up. And they they couldn't get me back. And I remember the moment at which my mind said, it's okay, you can just go now. This is a great excuse. I was so tired of being disappointed. I was so tired of being so sad. The entire life that I thought I had built had turned into this sham this long con, if you will. And I just, I was just ready to go. Hmm. And then what happened is they sent in my daughter who was 15 at the time and who had been waiting. They'd been waiting for two, three hours, um, which isn't normal. So actually the surgeon found them in the hallway and said, okay, so here's what happened. It was this big, but why isn't she out of intensive care yet? And they're like, we don't know because my ex was there with my daughter. So they sent in um, my daughter and she came in. And when I saw her face, I just said, Jewel, you got to rally. Because it was hard to have to to see what was happening with me mirrored on her face. Right. One of the most difficult moments of my life. And I was like, we'll rally. And I did. And I rallied. And um, that was a Friday night. And Sunday morning, I had convinced the nurses they could send me home. Because I rallied hard. So that is what trauma can do. Yeah. Your body knows. Your body knows. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know that book, Your Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. Yeah. And I often say, stop it. Stop keeping the score. (laughs) Just just ignore it already. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say this is why you do the work that you do. Mm, Yeah. Can you say that in a way that tells us what this is and what the work is? Yeah. Okay. So. (laughs) I know it's a tricky one. Yeah. It's um, it's always interesting to put it into words. And I don't really, I'm not really the kind of person who rehearses a pitch and then that's what you get because I believe in sincerity in the moment. So, okay. So just the concept that I was willing to end my life because of what someone else did or did not do is so wrong fundamentally, but I had lost so much of myself. Like we talked about in our first conversation and I just, I I was, I was just so lost and I was so alone. And I was so isolated. And of course, over the years, I had become more and more isolated. And you don't really notice until you're totally alone and you actually need somebody. I didn't really, quote unquote, need help before. I needed it then. And there was nothing for me. So 
I don't want anyone else ever to have to go through that by themselves. Mm -hmm. First of all, it didn't need to take years for me to recover. Second of all, it shouldn't have been so emergent physically. That should not have happened. But it did because it was my calling to change what I was doing with my life and mm. do that now. Mm. So I spend my days in conversation with people and the people who I work with, my clients, I work with them. And we we take all the stuff that I, because I tried so many different things. So what I did is five years worth of trying I put all that that actually worked into a program. And so now I take my clients through that program so that they don't have to. And I didn't know what this would look like when I decided to do this. I had no idea. I just, I actually just started with writing the blog. Mm. And then I realized that people were asking me questions and, and I thought, ooh. I better get something here behind me. So I went and I got certified. As what? I, certified as? As a life coach. I see. Okay. Because again, back then, I don't think there was such a thing as trauma-informed. Right. At least I didn't. I didn't yeah. find it. So I did what I found and I worked very hard at it and I was able to, you know, complete all the testing and get all that done. And then I just continued to take courses and courses and mm -hmm. courses. And so from all that, I've taken, I've taken all the good stuff, all the life-changing stuff, all the soul healing, body healing stuff. And I now give that to my clients. Nice. Really nice. So what I hear is from your own heartbreak, mm -hmm. the work that you do was born. Now, that's not me saying things happen for a reason because that is the kind of thing that will make me cut a bitch. Um, <laughs> but however, um, however, or I will say, and yeah, it is right. It's the very reason why I have this podcast, right? This is my, this is, I've created this podcast. It's the thing that wasn't there when I needed it. So here exactly. we are. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's and what I love. Done. I, I love that you have this. Yeah. Absolutely love that you have this. Um, I do want to, th there's something tagging at me. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, because this is the Trauma Hiders Club, and we're talking about the mind body and how the body, you cannot hide trauma from the body. I just, I feel like there's a connection there that is really significant for all the listeners out there to remember that we can hide from our trauma. And I did for many years, over 20 years, we can hide from it, but our body can't. As much as we stick to our left brain and we stay there, and many times we stay in the masculine energy and we just go, 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 go. Like I described earlier, we can do all that and we can fake it. We really can. We can be that high-functioning trauma survivor for a while until the body says, stop, I'm done, I'm out, pay attention. Yes. So I'm going to say yes and. Um, mm -hmm. And here's the and. The and is we can appear functional as yeah. trauma hiders 
And even if we don't have physical manifestations of whatever that trauma is, whatever that response is, even if we don't, we are living a dual life, one that we know of that is our life of, I feel this about myself, filthy, disgusting, betrayed, whatever, whatever your story is, right? And then there's the life that we're showing to everybody else. Yeah. yeah. So we're not creating two fully lived lives. We're creating half lived lives. So we can hide and look functional, but we are not. Exactly. So even if we don't ever have physical symptoms. So I did want to say that. Yeah. End. Yes. And, and I also want to say this, that the Trauma Hiders Club as we know, is a name that like kicks up people's shit, right? Like nobody wants to be in it. Yeah. <laughs> but as listeners, we know we're all in it. We just might not know it yet. Yeah. 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 A little plug for, for this show, man. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and there is hope. Right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I could go on forever, but the point is there is hope. Yes. Yes. Listen to these shows. I think this I don't know what episode this is, 80 something. Yeah. If each show doesn't have a message of hope that, you know, isn't some Pollyanna, you know, change your mind, then <laughs> then I write. This is a hopeful show. Yeah. 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 And thank you for actually tapping into the whole toxic positivity thing. Because it's, it is so toxic and people are putting so much pressure on themselves and they're actually being re-traumatized yep. by that pressure. Absolutely. No, oh, those poor people. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you don't need to do this. You don't need to be positive all the time. And you don't need. No. And I will say, I catch myself when I'm like, oh, you shouldn't feel that. When I hear shouldn't in my yeah. own little self-talk, I'm like, well, there it is. One, there's judgment to the fuck, right? Like, yeah, maybe I should feel this way. Maybe I should be this way. Maybe it's okay for right now, or maybe it's okay forever. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just maybe your feelings are valid. That's right. And they have a source and there's a, a source that leads to that feeling. So yeah. if you don't like the feeling, we can go to the source. That's right. Um, speaking of the mind, body, and trauma and source of feelings, there is this beautiful, this beautiful process. It's called regenerating images in memory. So for short, we call it RIM. And I actually just got a certification in this process uh, a couple months ago. I've been using it for a few years because we have different levels of certification. So now I'm at that next level and there is it's using, it's just so beautiful. The efficacy is about four to five years of talk therapy in one session. Like it's so powerful. Wow. It's efficient. It's effective. I have not used it on anyone where it has not made a positive effect. Hmm. It's so healing. Is it something that, so for example, we've had people on here who do EFT. Yeah. People have then practiced while just listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Is RIM something that can be talked through or do you have to like sit in front of someone? The best, most effective way is to have someone facilitate for you. I see. And guide you through the process. And what your facilitator will do is 
one of the descriptions is we basically we use the body as a sort of a backdoor into that source that is causing those feelings that we don't want or that is at the uh, core of the trauma. And so now we are able to stop just treating the symptoms. We can actually go to the core and we can change what's happening in your body and in your unconscious at the same time. And it's the safest, most effective process ever. I I should give you a a session one of these days. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, super, super healing. There is a book that Dr. Deborah Sandella has written. It's called Goodbye Hurt and Pain. And if you read the book, there are some exercises where you can kind of do some self-rim. Okay. So that would be a way that you could try it on yourself. For me, I prefer to have a facilitator. Yeah. Because just we get to the point much quicker and right. we we process through faster and you know, within an hour. I have yet another weight lifted off me. Right, right. I have a couple of thoughts on that. One, um, what you've just described, this weight lifting off you. When I was doing EMDR, which was not a one session thing. I mean, I know people have their results, I suppose, on different timelines. Mine was about a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, it was long. It was long. So I was creating, you know, my resources, my safe places, safe, you know, all of my safeties. And I remember when we really started to get in, when we could get into it, you know, where I was actually like firing left brain, right brain. I used the vibrational paddles. I couldn't do the eye movement. Okay. Because I get a little bit of vertigo and I noticed that was happening. So I remember after the first session and every session after that, I would walk outside from the medical building I was going to and the sky looked different and the trees looked different every time. And I had this image and listeners of Trauma Hydra's Club may remember this, that I imagined I was built of cement blocks, which are like so heavy and thick and like even the color. And I imagined that every time I walked out of that building, I could see one or maybe even two cement blocks in the sky with like a balloon attached to them because I was removing those blocks. Beautiful. I love that for you. Yeah. And that incredible lightness that I would one by one or one or maybe two, whatever. I mean, it took me a long time. I clearly had stored lots of shit, (laughs) but right. Yeah. You know, I always say, if I only knew about EMDR when I was 10 years old, I could have saved myself a lifetime of bullshit. <laughs> but here Maybe. I am. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. I could add other bullshit. So I have a quick question for you, Karen. Yeah. As you saw the concrete go up into the sky with a balloon, how much of that concrete actually surprised you? Like, did you feel for myself, for my own healing, a lot of the weight that has lifted from me and and where I've received so much clarity and, and vibrancy in its place, I didn't know it was there. You didn't know the weight was there? Ah, uh, I knew the weight was there. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was very familiar with the weight. What I didn't know was that it wasn't that scary to take a look. Yeah. That's what was in the way for me, right? Because I'm 10 and this, this, you know, this is when, I have my 
first significant traumatic experience, my first assault. And so at 10 to then, you know, navigate my life, there was just so much scariness, right? Somebody might know this about me or my family might die if I do tell anyone because that was a threat that I had to live with. So there was just a lot to be afraid of. And what really did blow my mind was how not scary the work was, number one. I was well-prepared. I mean, the therapist I worked for was amazing. And number two was that when I dug deep, I didn't end up on the other side, fractured in a million pieces, rocking in a corner with my family, unable to recognize who I am, because that actually was among my biggest fears. Yeah. Actually, most people have that fear where it's unrecognizable. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And if I let myself go here, I'm going to get stuck and I'll never come out. That is our biggest fear. That was my fear. We don't want to stay there. And my my mentor, um, he always says, the only way out is through. But that's so scary to trauma survivors. That's right. Because we don't want to go through because we've already been there. And we don't want to go through it again. Right. We already know what the response of going through was. It's fucking scary. Yeah. Right. Our brain is now wired to say, no, we're not going back there. Yeah. Yeah. And just the concept puts us into fight, flight or freeze. (laughs) We're like, yeah, I'm out. Out. No, thank you. So with RIM, Mm -hmm. I want listeners and I want this for myself. I want to understand. Can you like walk us through a session in an in? sort of a concrete, you don't have to dig deep, but a concrete way. Like, do you lay down? Is there music? What happens? Okay. So what happens is you either get on the phone with your facilitator or you do Zoom. I'm a contact junkie and I love to feel like we're in the same space and my clients are all over the world. So I prefer Zoom myself. We have a little conversation prior to beginning, just so you can sort of, you know, your nervous system can calm down because what we don't know scares us. And it's just basic human reality. And so we just, we have a conversation until we sort of tap into something where it's like, "Mm, okay, are you ready to begin? Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and close your eyes. And, you know, we do a little breathing. Sometimes we just go directly there. So say you had a feeling of immense grief. I would just have you close your eyes, take a deep breath and find that grief in your body. Mm. Most of the time it's going to be something that's actually probably been bothering you. And so we just, we go and then we explore that in the body and you are awake and you and I are in conversation the entire time. So you're speaking spontaneously according to prompts that I give you, which is why it's so good to have an experienced facilitator do this with, right? So then we go in and then, you know, you might think the grief is about losing your cat, but actually what's happening here is losing your cat is actually bringing back something that you lost when you were two. Mm-hmm. So then we're able to go back to where you, when you were two and we're actually able to So what I call it is I call it removing the anchor. So I can't change the factual event that happened to you. What I can help you do is remove the anchors 
that are keeping you um, keeping you stuck, keeping you self-sabotaging, keeping you second guessing, keeping the limiting beliefs, keeping all that, right? And oftentimes keeping you in bed and you can't get out of bed and you don't know why. So we we just begin and it's just a very gentle process. Most of the time we bring in your virtual resource and that's whoever it is that you choose or whatever it is that you choose. Many times it's someone's childhood dog. Mm-hmm that comes in and they just that's what makes you feel safe and so that dog then goes with you everywhere many times it's an angel for myself it's it's always an angel it's always angel michael archangel michael he's just always there and when he shows up i'm just like oh yeah i can <laughs> i can do this <laughs> I can do anything right and so we go and so you're never alone as you walk through that through part that we're so scared of you're not actually there by yourself So you have whatever it is that makes you feel safest and most protected. And I mean, a session goes in different directions every time and always kind of has a different type of flow for each person, which is why we do them one-on-one mostly. You can do group scenarios, but I, I truly... I've already said I'm an eye eye contact junkie. I'm a connection junkie. Like I just want to sit here with you and I'm going to go into the mud with you and I will not leave you there. Mm. I will show you the way out. I'll carry you if I have to. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, because often we're just sitting there all by ourselves. Right. What leads to that woman on the table saying, it's okay for me to go now. Nobody would. And it doesn't really matter anyway. Yes, it You matter. And your life matters and you're here. And so let's let's keep you here and let's bring those pieces back that you've been putting on the shelf and shoving in the drawer over the years. Let's bring those pieces back. But as we bring them back, let's heal them and then put them back where mm. they were. Or maybe there's a new place for them. Right. But we get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. How do you know you're ready to do that work? Do you have to be ready? No. Okay. Not really. Some people tend to talk a lot and they want to tell stories, which means that now they've gone back to their left brain. Yeah. (laughs) And this is all about the right brain and the body. So again, with an experienced facilitator, you just, you bring them back and it's so cool. I've worked with therapists, police officers, bankers, high school principals, teachers. I have worked with couples, moms, dads. I mean, I have not found anyone yet that didn't have a positive outcome from it. Mm-hmm. And we so can nice. do it in an hour. I like to leave two hours just so we we don't feel rushed. But yeah, we can do it so quickly. It's just beautiful. And there is an intergenerational concept. You know how you mentioned earlier, the mother passed to the mother to the mother to the great so we're actually able, and I've I've had quite a few of these sessions for myself and on behalf of my children, um, where I've been able to go back to the original trauma, actually, then bring healing down through the generations and pass it on to my children. I mean, the power of this process is just, I am deeply in love with it. Like I just... And I stumbled upon it by accident, really. I was working with other coaches who were helping with my business. And they said, okay, well, it's time for your breakthrough session. I was like, what? Okay, yeah, I'll do it. And I got on the phone and the first one, I was like, whoa, that was powerful. Wow. 
I just thought, nah, it was a fluke. So I booked another one. Oh, that was powerful. Yeah, well, I'm still not sure about it. And that was powerful. And again, and again, and again. And I was like, okay, so this really works because I am finding me underneath of this bubble. And this is exhilarating. This is so life-giving. So then finally, actually, the facilitator, who's now my men- my mentor, the facilitator finally asked, Jewel, so I'm, I'm noticing that you really like RIM. Do you want to get trained in this? And I was like, right. oh, I didn't know I could. And even just now, <laughs> just the concert, I just got chills everywhere. It's like, I didn't know that was a possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in. Tell me when, tell me where, tell me how much I'm there. Um, and then that was just kind of the beginning of the last two years. That's fabulous. Tell me one more time. What does RIM stand for? Regenerating images in memory. Okay. That makes so, sense. For example, I'm going to give you a quick example because I know we're running out of time. For myself, I was sexually abused as a child. I was about six. And I didn't realize how much that was bothered. It's not ever something I ever forgot. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of shame with me through my entire life because of that. And I recently wrote some some blog posts about what happens when you're sexually abused as a child. But apart from all that... I was able to be facilitated to go back to that moment. And instead of being the six-year-old with no help and no resources, Mm. able to scream and say, no, I had my angel there. I was able to run out of the room. I was able to repaint that entire story. So we regenerated the image of what happened in that memory. Does that, that helps I And then as a result, I'm able to release the shame, release the false guilt, release all the other things that came as a result. So that would be one example of regenerating what happened to you as a helpless child and and giving you your power back now so that it can stop being that underlying. And again, right, that was like a piece of concrete that I didn't know was as heavy as it was. Yeah. Very cool. Really powerful stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we will have a link in our show notes. Yeah. People can find out about RIM and we'll put the name of the book as well. Clearly how to reach you and people are interested in exploring RIM. Yeah. Yeah. To reach out to you. That would be fabulous. Yeah. I love this conversation. Thank you for going even deeper and providing not only more and deeper insight into who you are, but the area of work that you do and how you are helping people like us, the members of the Trauma Hiders Club. Thank you so much. Ah, Karen, thank you so much. This, uh, This is a treat. Thank you. Yeah, for me too. Thank you. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to karengoldfingerbaker.com.